Hey, welcome back. Um, we have another guest. We I know we haven't been here for a while. Actually, Mike is also not going to be here in this podcast, but um, I had a good conversation with Jonas Rinde. Uh, Jonas is the co-founder and CEO of Nomono, which basically is a cloud-based audio collaboration and processing company, uh, specifically, bu uh, specifically built for podcasters, broadcast journalists, uh, audio storytellers, and, and many more. Um, and, and they basically describe themselves as kind of the audio workflow of the future. And I think looking at their product is an interesting combination of software and hardware, which combines the background of Jonas as well, which is even more interesting since he's been doing it for quite a long time, working in the intersection of hardware and software and basically building and leading companies in that specific field. So they are up to something new, which is the whole area of audio, which is, of course, dear to my heart as well. So I was super excited to have him on. Uh, Jonas actually has a long history of working in different industries. He started uh, of working in the automobile industry due to his interest in the automobile uh, industry itself, especially in the design of, 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 of basically creating um, cars. Um, but then actually he, he, we talked about in the podcast how he learned that it's not his kind of future pathway to stay in that industry. And instead, um, he moved more to also other industries such as kind of the tech related industry. And he actually led the R&D department at Tanberg, which was uh, then sold for 3.3 billion to Cisco. Um, and as a consequence, he then became uh, the, the, one of the board members of Cisco Systems in Norway. So he basically, through the acquisition and, and through leading that R&D RD department, he was part of the leadership team in Norway for Cisco Systems and continues to build and, and, and sold companies. Lastly, he was the, the CEO of Hudley, um, which is also based in the Nordics and also listed uh, on the stock exchange. And we basically talked about so many different topics. Of course, him uh, having an experienced view on the tech industry, Combining that perspective of hardware and software was super interesting to me. So we specifically talked about his way of how he chooses opportunities to work on, because I think for every founder out there, it's always interesting to identify how to select the right opportunities to work on, whether that's working, for example, for a startup or a scale up uh, or building your own company. At the end, you need to make decisions and trade-offs and then kind of learning from his perspective was super interesting. We talked about designing products since that was kind of, of course, um, his his early pathway in, in his career and then of course led to to the day now where he's, he's designing hardware products. We talk about his new company of course and and then about more general topics about favorite books and also his career advice for young people. So uh, super interested uh, to hear what you guys think. Um, let us know on any kind of social channel. Let Jonas know whether um, you would like to get in touch. Um, he's available on on kind of the most important channels. So um, feel free to reach out and um, yeah, happy to hear from you. Merry Christmas and um, see you next year, hopefully. Three, two, one, go. Uh, we are back. Welcome back to the Feed Your Brain podcast. We have another guest on the show um, with actually, it seemed to be a German name. We were just talking about it, whether there's some German roots with which uh, Jonas explained a bit where it comes from. Uh, but we have Jonas Rinder on the show. Uh, great to have you here, Jonas. How are you doing? I'm all good. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to be a part of your podcast. So looking yes. forward to the questions and dialogue. Yes, pleasure, pleasure to have you on. Um, I mean, you just explained it, and maybe we should dive into it because I, I thought it was quite a spontaneous pathway. You just—I uh, was confused about your German name, and and uh, you said there's some entrepreneurial spirit in the background or in the back of your family, basically, which somehow maybe is being shown in your career path now as well. Um, like, how, where, where's, where does your name come from, and and how does kind of the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, has been awakening maybe since already ages <laughs> ago and now it's transformed to you Maybe you can explain a bit more <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no it's uh, it's like way back in time uh, my grand 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 old father so there, there are some entrepreneurs in my bloodlines um so i'm really from sweden uh and they had a very standard swedish last name uh Johansson. Uh, but he was uh, running a fleet of sail chips so this is before we got steamboats um, so he, uh, this certain type of sailboat, a number of sails and masts, uh, that in, in Swedish is called, uh, bark, uh, and that in German, uh, is rinde, and that is something you have <laughs> also 
uh, on, on the trees as well. So, so yeah, he wanted probably to stick out. Uh, but he said there was too many post boxes uh, on the street with the same last name, so he got the wrong name. <laughs> so, but you know, to to also tell that you know he had a big fleet of sailship, but he wasn't that uh, early adopter of steamboats. So, after a few years, the steamboats took over the oceans, and uh, he went. Uh, he didn't. He didn't went bankrupt though. But he needed to sell his fleet of sailboats because technology has kind of, yeah, run away from him as well. So I'm um, trying to learn from him as well. Uh, there are some other entrepreneurs in, 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 in the family as well, a car dealership. Um, and also risk-taking my, my grandfather. He was a fighter pilot in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. So uh, he did, uh, well, he was well-trained, uh, but he was, yeah. He was fighting uh, close to the Swedish and Norwegian borders, um, protecting them. Uh, but there's some risk taking there as well, to be honest. So I think uh, we'll probably come into that. But that gives a little bit of backdrop of where <laughs> at least some of my DNA comes from. So it's the combination of risk taking uh, and, and, and uh, some entrepreneurship as well. So yeah, just just maybe one one quick follow up question before we go into some of the more like um, uh, like topic you're working on right now. Like how how has this kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Um, How was uh, how was it being talked about in your environment? Was it always something um, that people were encouraging you for to actually go the entrepreneurial pathway? What have you learned from maybe your ancestors that have told you about building companies, taking risks? Um, what would you give forward there that maybe you have learned in in a way from your previous generations? So I think it was more the stories I heard from my grandfathers uh, and also the history around that. Because in my family, we live in an ordinary house, ordinary street in Sweden. My parents were entrepreneurs, uh, at least in in the in the profession. But my father, for example, on the on the private side, he was uh, very much developing different sailboats in his spare time. So I think he chose the wrong path in terms of work. He had a pretty boring office desk job, but you know, in his spare time, he spent a lot of time building and designing boats and kind of competing with them as well. So I was inspired by that, especially when it comes to product development, because uh, I kind of followed him closely and learned a lot about sailing, uh, but also how you trim and optimize things, the teamwork you have on the sailboat as well. So that was really really kind of motivating but then i heard the stories about the grandfathers uh, running a big car dealership in sweden uh, and also of course i mentioned earlier about uh, the sailboats uh, sorry um the sail chips um so, so growing up there i was also getting motivated that uh, i wanted to kind of get somewhere uh, mm-hmm. and i was kind of taught early like just follow your dreams and uh, that is still a key thing for me kind of Uh, dream and not dream unrealistic dreams, but not too small dreams, but have this kind of how should I call it kind of big but some kind of realistic dreams mm-hmm. uh, and, and follow them. And I think that's kind of taken me pretty far from from that ordinary street <laughs> somewhere in Sweden uh, to where I'm right now, and all of course the adventures I have had uh, along the way. So. One of my biggest motivation right now uh, when building companies is, is hiring people, especially young people, uh, straight out of university, uh, and be a kind of an enabler for them to fulfill their dreams. Um, so that is uh, kind of one way I would like to kind of pay it forward and use my experience to help them. And that could be if they're coding, if they're designing, or whatever, if they want to become leaders. Uh, and also have done a lot of angel investment over the last two years as well. And that goes into that as well. You know, uh, young entrepreneurs help them get going, uh, of course, with some money in the beginning, advisor, but also kind of use my network and help them uh, get a good start. Uh, because back in the days when I started, I don't think startup was a thing. Uh, we were just <laughs> we were just solving problems, and while solving the problems, we needed resources and skilled people. And doing that, it become kind of a company, and yeah. So, um, but now it's uh, yeah. So that's at least uh, fulfilling dreams. I think it's super important for myself and for the people around me. Yeah, it's 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 great that you mentioned that because I mean, looking at um, looking at looking back at what you've done before, um, it, it, it kind of it's kind of interesting when you say you kind of try to kind of fulfill a, a certain setup where your dreams are 
maybe realistic, maybe sometimes stretched, but they also in some sort of frame that you think you can actually achieve. And looking back, I think you've done a lot of different pathways. You have worked in in, in corporate jobs, you've built startups kind of within corporate uh, the corporate environment, you've built companies yourself. Um, one thing that I think a lot of kind of young people sometimes struggle is, is to evaluate opportunities and basically understand how do I actually decide what to do next? What's the right pathway? Do I kind of take this way now? Do I take this way? And, and you've basically have a lot of kind of um, uh, work experience in that regard, working also in very different segments. Um, and, and what have you learned kind of in, in terms of discovering, but also evaluating opportunities in your career that you would like give forward and what, what's something, how do you actually evaluate new opportunities in itself? Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good topic. And I think for me, in the beginning, uh, it was this, uh, this drive I had. Uh, and, and when the opportunities arise, I think I don't believe in luck, so to say. Uh, I believe in, in having good dreams, realistic dreams, uh, and kind of do what you can to make them real. So that I have one example uh, where probably I was a bit different from from the kids in the neighborhood where I, where I grew up. Um, I had a very very strong interest in in car and car design. So as a kid, this is classic, you know. As a kid, you were playing with the Lego and you were playing with cars and collecting cars. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also had my grandfather being this car dealer building his cars, so I got a lot of experience following him and seeing that. But, but that kind of, and combined with my father building boats in his spare time, uh, you know, mm-hmm. crafted and using tools. That I think somewhere in that combination, um, I was getting very interested into car design and uh, reading a lot of car magazines. And I remember uh, when I moved out of the house, my my mother and father called me, hey, great, Jonas, that you grew up and moved out to the house, but could you please clean one of your wardrobes and i went like what <laughs> i have all my clothes with me the other ones you can no no the second wardrobe the one you fill with car magazines and car <laughs> shoes you know so i had a so it was kind of you know pretty insane but what i will come to the point is that early like i think i was 12 years old i already had kind of a plan on my dream to be a car designer so I read the magazine, asked people, uh, talked to people <laughs> in, in my early networks, I'll say, uh, to understand what kind of schools, what kind of path they need to take, what kind of grades they need to have. How can I, you know, because at that time, you know, getting to car design, uh, you need to go to private school in Switzerland. I think mm-hmm. it still is. It's very expensive. It's very hard to, to kind of be able to, to uh, get a position there as well. And so, yeah, at 12 years old, that was my path and my dream. Um, and if kind of fast forward a few years, uh, when I then started to go to university, I realized there's so much, still having this car designer dream, realizing there's so much other things. I mean, there are products. And what was so interesting was the process about developing products. Hmm. And that was such a link to my childhood as well, where I always kind of been interesting and picking things apart. I think most of us have been doing that uh, to our parents years, <laughs> that nothing ever worked because we couldn't put it back together again. But I think that interest uh, in terms of understanding how things are being built, uh, but also uh, using myself uh, because questioning the products. Why does this product exist? Why is it hard to use? How can it be better? Um, so coming back, this is probably a long answer to your topic. Yeah, no, that's great. But, yeah. But I think it comes to having this goal and these dreams. And when the opportunity comes, you probably know to go left, to, to go right. You have mm. some, some stomach feeling on it's the right one. Um, and sometimes it's about being a right person at the right place when things arises. But it's also back to taking risk. Because you get these opportunities, but you might do a calculation, oh, it's too much risk. I need to quit my day job. I have loans on my house, or even when you're young, you know what? Oh, should I move to another country? I have no friends there. Uh, can I afford it? Uh, but it's back again to this risk taking. So, um, and I mentioned it, I think, not in this podcast, but in other podcasts about what I talk about calculated risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay. with the experience and the dreams, there, there's so many factors, but in that, you get this kind of gut feeling where you do this calculated risk taking, like, I should do it because my, me personally, 
I was on this car designing path, but then I went into kind of interested in product. So I kind of left that path and focused more on products. And then I went into product design. Mm-hmm. And, but then I realized I wasn't that good designer. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, even though that was the initial kind exactly. of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's kind of contradicting that was my dream but then you realize so uh, instead of went into the basement crying realizing that there's another opportunity you can see because what I realized at the time was I'm pretty uh, creative in my mind so problem solving I was pretty good at so then in my class I had some guys and girls that were better than me of designing using colors and materials where I probably could be the one generating the ideas or, you know, here's a problem and here's the solution on it, or here's an opportunity really kind of early in the school as well. And from that, I started to realize maybe I'm better off kind of doing that creative phase or getting people together with different competence and, and get some results out of that. And that was really kind of back in the university. Uh, but at the time didn't realize maybe that was kind of a, a leader style or, or a kind of a entrepreneur way of doing. It was just, from my perspective, realizing what was my limitations. Hmm. And I think I kept that over the years. And it's the classic one leader say, but for me it's key that I always bring on people that are better and smarter than me. And that's so strong to do that uh, because I got to learn so much from them. But I also give them all responsibility and opportunity to do and fulfill their dreams because I support them in their roles. And I support them from perspective, I don't know anything about this, you know everything, please tell me. And then can combine those different people's skill set into something that probably is more valuable than me sitting and trying to guide everybody or or manage everything. And and, and I see it a lot of times, especially on, on founders, because it's a classic question, when should you leave your responsibility as the founder over to somebody else. And, and, and that can be painful and it can be really hard to realize yourself. So, but this is maybe a long answer to your question. So I think back again, when opportunity arises, it's back again, what then you can take for kind of risk or, or et cetera. Uh, no. so. I think it's a great answer, right? I think it kind of reflects on kind of the thought process that one needs to make in order to also make better decisions. And I mean, also speaking from, from personal experience, I can, I worked in content development for a while since I've always been interested in content uh, through my podcast, but I realized yeah. um, it's good to have made that experience and I can now better connect different other parts of an organization. I worked in product afterwards, I worked in sales. And, and if you understand how content is being created, it can help you in your product and sales journey. And I think yeah. having that experience with you now being, for example, in, 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 in the kind of in the design of kind of building products and, and basically designing products, making that experience of going through that journey, but then also saying, okay, maybe that's not the right path and maybe I go somewhere else. It can be a fundamental fundamental and important decision in that way, right? Yeah. And then I think it's one important thing, especially when you're young, is this is super important. Uh, find somebody that believes in you. Mm. So being a colleague, uh, being a manager, uh, and be kind of, um, yeah, uh, have high requirements on that. Because for me personally, that's when I started to kind of blossom, where I found out that I believed in me because then there was no friction. They were supporting me. Go, hey, John, great idea. Go figure out. Here's some money, here's some budget. Do you need more people? Well, <laughs> you're on your own, but, you know, still uh, follow that idea. Uh, and that was that was kind of the turning point for me. So what you mentioned, working in big corporations and kind of doing classic work mm-hmm. uh, as an engineer and project manager. Uh, but then uh, when I came to a company called Tamburg um, in 2007 in Norway, that mm-hmm. was kind of the, the, the turning point for me. Because suddenly I came into a company uh, where we, yeah, we were building startups inside the company. Uh, but also you had a management team that went like, Whatever you need, we'll support you with that. Money or team. We'll give you some guidance, of course, along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but off you go. And that was pretty interesting times in terms of how fast you grow as a person with the responsibility uh, and with the right kind of coaching and mentoring along the way. And that is something I've used since then uh, when building teams and, and companies as well. Um, 
And sometimes I get the feedback that I might be too uh, <laughs> too happy to give away responsibility. Uh, but I'd rather give too much responsibility in the beginning, especially to young people, and see are they going to swim. And some of them not only swim, they start to fly as well. Uh, and if they start to sink, that well, that's my job then to support them to get up on the surface again, try to get them to kind of fly out of the water, so to say. Um, because if you don't give people that uh, freedom or that responsibility, well, then they will never know. Will they be able to fly or will just continue swimming? Um, and also for their own learning curve. Hmm. Because I think many people talk about it, but, you know, get out to, <laughs> out to your comfort zone. So, uh, and I think that's super, because that's where you grow. And I'm, you know, using myself as a, as a learning example there as well. I had managers pushing me outside the comfort zone because I think most engineers are introverts. Uh, we are very fun of working. <laughs> I would say work in silence, but at least, you know, work with peers, stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, but, but suddenly, you know, you got responsibility and then we're pushed on stage and present for 400 people, you know, and that's a big step. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that's important to have somebody yeah, believes in you and support you because push out your comfort zone. Yeah, let's 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 deep dive into that a bit because I think that's an interesting area to talk about because I there are different kind of stories or yeah stories of for example the the Stripe founders who basically decided uh, that their first twenty employees were kind of former entrepreneurs at least yeah. having tried to build companies or some sort of movement or organizations in itself. And I've heard the same thing from companies like Rippling, who basically uh, blew up within a couple of years. And they have also decided to hire specific founders for specific products instead of just hiring the typical kind of product manager. And I think, what have you learned about hiring the first people at your organization now where you actually need to decide is this going to be an entrepreneurially kind of person? Is this more uh, a manager? Is this a young person? Is this a more experienced person? How do you think about hiring your first talent, especially when you think about bringing a company from zero to one? Yeah. Now, my, my experience is that I have hired people from my network that I worked with before. Hmm. Uh, so I know them. They know me. They, I know their strength and the weakness, etc. So that has been a very good start of the company. And you also bring the culture with you and what have you. So, so uh, at least my experience, to get a successful start, uh, bringing experienced people you know from before. It doesn't have to be many, but at least starting with that. And then pretty fast add the young people to the mix uh, because there's a, a lot of energy going on there. So... Um, I, but then, also, as you mentioned, there, I think it's so important to have uh, people with startup mentality or startup experience. It's very, very different, uh, for example, when you hire people that come from the big corps. Uh, maybe they heard about startup being kind of cool and fun to do. Uh, and then some of them, of course, they blossom them up and kind of finally find their position in life, like startup. Wow. But you have to have, I mean, the early in the phase of the company startup that you have to have so many hats on. And there's so much freedom as well. Um, so you really need people that, uh, I think you mentioned very good, like with, with the entrepreneur or founder's mindset. Um, so, uh, but it's also back to being able to prioritize, hmm. uh, to always work on the most important thing that always brings the company forward and don't get tangled in, in small things or things that are, because especially if you look on engineers uh, and being that myself back in the days, you can always polish something and it's never done. It's never finished. And now with software, how you can, with fast and everything, how you so early can prototype things, how early you can just test it on, on customers and users. And it's so important. And I see, I see that over and over again that uh, we wait too long before we start to test early concepts, even sketches. On, on, mm. on potential customers to get that early feedback and you know failing early and failing fast is so so important so but yeah getting experienced people in the beginning I think it's key um, uh, or at least have this uh, hunger on, mm. on, on, on adventure because in the beginning you don't have all the process in place you don't have I mean you put things in place as you run um, so, and, you know, if you find something missing, well, probably nobody has thought about it. So 
let's get you do I mean take this responsibility and just get going and fix it whatever being ordering system or HR system or whatever you need to kind of um, structure as you grow um, so yeah yeah it, it, it matches to what I've heard once which kind of stays in my head now also kind of building another company which is as a founder you need to basically you are responsible to keep the organization in motion And that has so many different aspects of it, right? Motion meaning coaching people, motion meaning being bringing product further, motion meaning talking to investors, learning how you're going to finance a company. But motion itself is the dynamic. And as soon as you feel stuck, you got to bring yeah. back the, the motion. And I think um, that's something that, that I think kind of resonates with what you have said. Um, one kind of particular pathway that you've mentioned is kind of building great products in a sense, right? I mean, has so many aspects, you coming from an engineering, but also the design part, which at least been your, been your, it's been your childhood dream in a way. Um, what have you learned about building great products? Because at the end, you see kind of, you, you see great hardware products being built. You see a lot of great software products being built, but on the surface, there are also a lot of shitty products being built. Yeah. Um, how do you think about, um, creating products? What have you learned in your career about what's actually a great product? How do you get to a great product that you would like to give forward to kind of builders in the, in, in the, in the community? That's a, that's that's a big a hard question. question. Yeah, that's a yeah, big yeah, one. Yeah, we can, I'm sorry. We can spend some hours in that. So we, can, we, can, it we, can bring it, we, we can bring it back and forth. I can share my opinion. You share your opinion. And then we, we, we get some work. I know. But that's the question. These are the things I love to talk about. Um, and there's different views on it, what have you. So, so I, I'm originally going back to my childhood once again. Um, I always see myself as an early adopter. So I was very early on on uh, ray tracing, creating 3D pictures. That was before we even had programs like uh, 3D Studio Max. You were kind of writing in code to get, and you have to wait a week for that three. 86 PC to process your picture. I think for the for the young ones today, this sounds like what dinosaur thing working. <laughs> But so I kind of through my life, I'm following up having a, a, a program coding interface like DOS or or, or Visual Basic or, or C plus. Starting with that, because my my ambition was to do 3D objects to come to life. But you have the right to go. And then you started to get some Windows program running with some user interface. You have to learn those. And it kind of fast forward to today. I use myself a lot. Because uh, as you noticed earlier, having some frustration around the Riverside application with the Bluetooth <laughs> connection and what have you. And, and I find some of my motivation when designing products or challenging products is my own frustration. On the user interface, the packaging, the shape and forms. Is this attractive? Do Do I feel a bit scared of this product or do I feel that I'm kind of uh, attracted by it? Do I want to use it? Does it give me the wow feeling? So, so that's been key for me developing. But, you know, professionally-wise now, of course, we focus on the user. And I think everybody does it. But the way is going really, really, we talk about user researching and following the user uh, and analyze them. Uh, and see how you can give something to them, one, that they don't realize they need or exist, but that gives this uh, ease on them in terms of reducing pain. Mm -hmm. So one key thing is, of course, reducing time they need to spend on something. Uh, or it can be stress level, uh, or they can improve their work in terms of the quality. So a little bit uh, back to Nomono, And my learnings is we're not just doing an app or a smart microphone uh, or a cloud service. We do it all at the same time. And the reason we do it is because it started that we looked on the workflow. So the workflow of our personas, of our customers, of our hmm. humans. And we looked on the audio recording workflow. And I guess you're experience that as well but if you look on that workflow and that was our opportunity we just went, hey nobody has made that smart hmm. there are some microphone manufacturers doing some microphones and most of the microphones are wired uh, they're pretty big and chunky and they're not smart hmm. 
yeah, you have like omnidirectional microphones, directional microphones, love ear. You have a lot of different microphones in terms of technologies, but they're not smart in the way other things have become smart over the years. Because the mic itself doesn't know anything. It sounds weird. What should the microphone know? Well, <laughs> I'll come to that. I'll come at, to least that. My, at least my voice, yeah. <laughs> at least your voice. But then your voice is dependent on the distance to the mic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you know, classic is that when you talk to people, you move your head around, you talk to different locations. And if you have a fixed mic, that will decrease your audio quality because your audio... It's, I mean, it's signal first. It's, it's physical. It's the distance between your mouth and the mic. As easy as that. But not that. You have other things like noise. You have wind noise. Um, maybe you can hear my girlfriend boiling some food in the background or not because there's some noise slightly. going on here. Okay, slightly, cool. slightly, yeah. But there's factors you don't have control over. Hmm. And uh, back to what I call today's microphones, uh, they can't do anything with it. They just, they just capture the audio. Um, so that's why we need to develop our own uh, smart microphones, uh, uh, and that in that workflow. So that, but that's not solving the whole pain for a podcaster. It's just solving a piece of it. Mm-hmm. So also looking into next step. Once you record something, you need to store it. Uh, you have a field recorder, or you have SD cards, or you store it on your iPhone or on your on your Mac. Um, but you need to store it somewhere. Uh, and then you need to get that into an editing tool, like a digital audio workstation, mm-hmm. and, and start, you know, listen to the audio and try to fix and correct what went wrong or sounded bad from those <laughs> stupid microphones. Mm-hmm. And there's some, also some apps and applications you can use, cloud-based, etc., to start to kind of improve your audio. But those programs, they don't have an understanding about the scenario when you were doing the recording. Mm. So, what we say is shit in, shit out, but there's limitation. And I mean, some of these AI-powered tools are super powerful, but they will always be limited in the audio file to get a hold of how much they can improve it. Because they don't have context, right? Exactly. Or, yeah, exactly. So, and then when you've done that, you probably have some person you are working with or somebody interviewed. Uh, that you may want to share with us to get him or her's views or maybe some comments. Uh, there might be a sponsor of your podcast that want to listen to it first before they share some money. Uh, uh, and how, I mean, when we use something like emails or maybe our professional use Slack for that, mm-hmm. but then you need to move the file from that tool into that and share it. And where do they have their comments and where do the comment? I mean, if you look on that today, <laughs> it's pretty insane compared yeah, to how you work on Google Docs. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So back to that workflow. And then after all that, you have a file you can publish on on, on Spotify or whatever streaming service used for podcasts. Which but is a whole other process, yeah. That's a whole other process, yes. And you have to have some metadata that tells, you know, the the, the, the store of the podcast and, and, and et cetera. So, so we looked on that and it's painful and nothing happened. But people will work in that, then it's a challenge. So that's why we come with with the pneumonia, which is taking care of the whole shebang in terms of the workflow. Uh, because when you add a solution to people today, you have to make sure it doesn't add complexity. It reduces complexity. Mm. So we're not replacing everything out there, but we're pretty focused on the basics. So that's why we started with doing the smart microphones. They pick up. You don't have to monitor the audio. There's no gain or levels to set. So we reduce the need for understanding or feeling the risk of did I set the gain or levels right? This mm. person I'm interviewing, where, where is he or she's voice level? During the interview, will they start reducing voice? Or if you have more people, it's getting more complicated. Yeah. You know, the sound bleeding between the different microphones, they might have different voice levels. Somebody's talking very loud. And we, you know, we fix all that. You don't have to have the headphones. You don't have a big microphone in front of you. Uh, you just clip it onto your shirt, and that's it. Plus, we're collecting metadata, so we know the exact position of these microphones mm. in correlation to the space recorder. So that means that we know the distance between the main unit and the wired microphone. Mm. And you go like, why should I care? Well, you should care because that gives a lot of opportunities. So one thing is the 3D microphone we have, which is the brain-in solution, it picks up all the ambient audio. 
Mm, okay. But the ambient audio can also be defined as noise. Depends on what you want to do with it. Right. Uh, and the Stella microphones, they pick up uh, the, audio the voice only. The voice only. Yeah. So we know exactly what is the voice versus what is the ambient. So with that, and we also know the position of these microphones. So mm -hmm. we can do crosstalk reduction much smarter than anybody else. We can take away the risk of bleeding between the mics because we're in full control. But we can also replay the audio as this was recorded. So that means if we were sitting around the table, when you listen to the audio file with special audio on, it sounds the same. You as the listener will hear exactly how, for example, interview was playing out. Mm. And the cool thing here, because we collect the metadata uh, in our Nomono Cloud, in our, on, our, on our web app, um, you can, after the fact, decide if, do I want this ambient audio from Starbucks in the background? Because the, yeah. Or do I want to reduce a little bit because it's too noisy? Or do I want to take it away totally? Mm. I, I want it to sound like I'm in a studio. And when you come to that part, it's pretty cool then, because if you take it down to sound like you're in a studio, uh, then you can put on whatever ambient audio you want in the background. So if you want to fake you were in an Amazonas jungle, you can do that. <laughs> but it, but, it, but it's, it's not the Amazonas jungle like on a mono stereo track. It's a spatial audio track. Uh, we're not there yet, though. So we hope there are some of our customers that will take our 3D microphone into the jungle and do some recording uh, so, and share them back to us. And that can also give an opportunity to, to our users to add, uh, especially if you do a, yeah, if you do a, let's do a traveling podcast, for example, and you want to have a sound from being at a Caribbean beach with the waves rolling in, 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 in 3D, for example, that could be pretty cool. So yeah, back again to this long answers here, but uh, so much to say, but once again, it's back to kind of going on the whole workflow. Uh, and this is the most complex product I've ever been involved. We've got like 12 microcontrollers. Uh, it's wireless with Bluetooth. Uh, there's batteries. It's charging. Um, plus, it uses, for now, Wi-Fi to automatically upload the fly files to the cloud. And there, we automatically enhance it. Uh, so we have different AIs. Uh, I'm not sure about the number right now, but at least I think we do around 12 different enhancements okay. uh, automatically on the audio. So, um, yeah, and then you can do the comment in the file. So when you have your files in the Mono Cloud, you can just drop me a link. Just like you have with Riverside now, you drop me a link and I can join this call. And the same thing, you can drop a link and you can go in and pre-listen on the audio or comment. Go like, hey, Jonas, could we delete this, for example? Or, yeah, yeah. So, um, and... Yeah, so we, with that, take away a lot of pain for the podcaster, the producer, and the audio technician. And as you know, uh, the, the, I wouldn't call it, but the smaller the project or the podcast, that could be all those three personas in one person. And then, you, of mm -hmm. course, if you scale up to the bigger media houses, they're usually a team producing a podcast. If you look on, on Gimlet or, or NPR or Wondering and, and, and the big guys as well, so... And it's a whole, usually it's a whole room full of setup, right? That's also the annoying part. It's not really transportable in a way that you can say, oh yeah, maybe we want to do it now. By the way, if yeah. any of the listeners wants to go to the Caribbean beach and wants to help Jonas get that sound from the <laughs> Caribbean beach, let yeah. me know, then I can choose you guys. But um, <laughs> but in general, of course, yeah, it's not really yeah. transportable in a way, right? So you give that opportunity to go somewhere and just take a few pieces and, and there we go. So, so back to kind of your question there in terms of how you design and how you find opportunities and, and, and it's, it's looking into the defining, uh, like, like with the audio recording workflow, we found opportunity because why is it so painful? And then we start to dig into it. We talk to people and investigate and, and they go like, no, this is the way we do it. We take this market and uh, so then you start to realize, wow, here's an opportunity. Here we can do things. Uh, and what also gave us the opportunity is um, some of the patent technology we have because a former colleague of mine, now a co-founder in Amono, he spent almost three years uh, researching how to be able to do spatial audio and do the position of the microphone because we do this, we are the only ones today who can do with just a push of a button, you capture spatial audio. That is ready for Dolby Atmos and, and, and your AirPods and what have you. So uh, and we think podcasting is, uh, is probably going to be one of the key, key 
media platforms for, for spatial audio because you don't have any video content. You only have audio. And you usually use your headphones. So it gets very immersive. And we're a bit, I wouldn't say sensitive, but we get the audio inside our head. And, and um, to get that immersive uh, is super cool. Uh, versus what we have today. Usually the podcasts are in mono, some are in stereo, and that's it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I tell you a fun story? <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead, please, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. So, so, uh, so, so, and this goes on spatial audio. So, so um, um, had I an immersive podcast, spatial audio podcast, it was a true crime podcast, um, yep. I got a pretty new car, so it's support Dolby Atmos. So I was driving the car, uh, and then suddenly I was kind of almost stamping on the brake because I heard, like, just from my back here, <laughs> I heard something hitting my car. The thing, though, or I'm feeling a bit stupid because the thing was, it was a sound effect in the spatial <laughs> podcast. That's so funny. That I was listening to <laughs> in my car. So it was like this microsecond of ghost reaction. Like, what? No. And, and <laughs> so that leads, I would say that's maybe a good example, but it shows a little bit how powerful it can be in terms mm-hmm. of the immersiveness. And just realized, you know, that the true crime podcast, when you listen to when you had thoughts and spatial audio and just closed your eyes, and, uh, and some of these are getting really, really immersive. I didn't and, know and that I there's... That, they, they, that's they, the one they, I, there's a dependency apparently to autonomous driving, right? What you guys are building, so, <laughs> so that people don't actually <laughs> don't break. <laughs> exactly. So that was the macro time we were following. What's happening with autonomous car? Oh, it's happening. Okay, let's let's jump on the spatial audio right and now. Yeah, that's, yeah. That beautiful. I'll, I'll, actually, I'll share, I'll, yeah. No, go. I mean, it feel it feels very interesting that I mean, having worked in kind of the podcast industry for five six years, I mean, I've seen the kind of tools that have come and go in different forms to support podcasters do one particular thing of the workflow better. Um, as a as as kind of a, an entrepreneur, kind of building the setup now that you're building um, with a complete new experience. Where is this going to go, right? I mean, you have a price point, I think, that's like at a few thousand dollars right now. Is the plan to kind of decrease the price and build a more scalable version uh, through, of course, more usage from your from your consumers? Or where, where do you see this going? Or is it going to be kept as a, let's say, more premium product, still cheaper probably than most of the setup um, that, that like official studios have, right? So it's... It's 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 an interesting price point that you have selected for it. Why? How did you come up with that? And how's your thought process about kind of where is this going in the future? <clears throat> that was many very good questions. <laughs> Let's start with the first one. Uh, yes, we have developed. <clears throat> so we've taken the most high-end product first. Mm-hmm. So um, with that, we have developed a pretty cool hardware platform, and this is the first product out of it. Uh, I would say that the, the most expensive one, the most advanced one, as I mentioned, is 12 microcontrollers in this one. Um, and we also develop a software platform. So we have that in place. Uh, and we developed the AI. So from, from that, it's so interesting now for next year when we release this product into the market. Uh, I like to say I'm take it to the streets. So we have pretty good data backed up on, on the value of the solution uh, with the customers, pilot customers and users we have. Uh, but this product is designed to be used in any scenario. You don't have to be in a studio. It can be in a meeting room, but it can also be outside or it can be in a car. Um, so it's going to be so interesting about the feedback from the users of this product uh, because this is about the next step being dynamic about the usage you have in your product. Uh, I mean, for us, this product and solution we have is, I mean, it's good enough to bring this company into pretty good revenue and, and growth. Um, but then again, it's interesting to see also what we can do for kind of products in parallel as well. Uh, and it's also back to us, how far should we go? Uh, how far should we stretch it? So for the podcaster, should we maybe include some Riverside APIs so you can use our solution together with Riverside, for example? Uh, or, or even when you come to the publishing part, should mm-hmm. we do some partnering there, uh, or should we develop ourselves? Um, so, do we want to become this one-stop shop or one-stop workflow for a podcaster, uh, and for a podcaster that is 
from anywhere on the evolution curve, from being at home with your first mic and trying your first episode, have something for them. And I mean, our Nemono Cloud is free to use today. So anybody can go in and start using it. And you will not get the spatial audio effects, but you will get uh, AI for a lot of the enhancement. And you can be able to collaborate and you can do a lot of things for free already now in the cloud. And that kind of gives the ones just getting started a bit of, of, of a Nemono flavor. Uh, and then you have the professionals. They And if you look on the media houses, some of them want like 20 of these. Uh, I want to have them in a, in a kind of rack where hmm. the journalists, they just grab one of these out into the field and do recording. Because today hmm. they use so much different, like iPhones and field recorders and a lot of things. And uh, they're not that super techy or have the time hmm. in terms of use interface and stuff like that. Uh, and they're usually uh, a bit in a hurry. So so from, from that perspective, fleet management of these devices is super interesting. Or security in terms of the recording they just made, how is this encrypted secure? Because some, some, some of the uh, journalists are working on cases that probably is not going to have resolved in like one or even two years. Hmm. So security is super important on those recordings to keep them, especially if they're investigating some governmental and things like that. So, right, right. Um, yeah, so to be honest with you, yes, we have hardware software platform. We can do a product that is at a lower price point. Um, for now, we don't see a need for it. Back to this being a very good one, and we are the only ones in the world today that has a solution that out of the box uh, captures spatial audio or all smart microphones today. Um, so, yeah, uh, but this is also being dynamic. So, we have some ideas, yeah, we have roadmap, but I think the big thing now is to take to the streets and be dynamic about you know um, the holistic view we have. Uh, is that correct or what kind of adjustments should we do? And who should we partner with? You know, mm. who others see a value of uh, being a part of the Nomono ecosystem, you know? Uh, and uh, and that goes back to the user. You know? What can we do for the user to uh, 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 help them? Yeah, but that was kind uh, of as my... You know, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead, sorry. No, I'm just going to say, so if you, if you look on podcasters and if you look on the audio industry, you say that there are so many different tools and everybody has their own kind of workflow. So that goes back to us understanding that and see how can we build on, up on that and kind of, yeah. And that's the, that's the fine balance in terms of where you want to bring value. Um, yeah. So that was kind so of what I, I think we have a really about, good right? start here with the first solution. Uh, yeah, it looks amazing. I, I would love to love to experience it one day. Um, it, it feels like one of the things in terms of partnerships, just as a as a last sentence on that front. Um, I mean, Apple also didn't reinvent the whole wheel, right? I mean, they had a marketplace where they enabled developers to actually build products for Apple. And Apple was the hardware and partly software provider, but they built an ecosystem which made them thrive in, in an era where marketplaces and basically involving engineers into a developer experience was not really a big thing. So it feels like there are so many potential pathways. I know that we are already over time a bit. Um, just like two, three kind of final, final wrap-up questions. And I think everybody should definitely check out what you guys are building and, 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 and stay basically on the pathway of where this is heading, especially people in, in the creator economy and people creating content. Um, what's been the what's been kind of the, the, the most profound book that you have read maybe this year, maybe in the past years um, that, that you want to share with, with, uh, with the young audience? Yeah, I have to be honest, I'm, <laughs> I'm not reading that many books. Uh, I haven't or, done over the or, last year. Or podcasts. Or podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah podcasts. No, it's been full, full speed ahead to so learn while you run. But I remember I read the book uh, back in the days at um, uh, designing uh, objects for everyday life. Uh, mm-hmm. And that took into account in what I mentioned earlier about the focus on the user uh, and designing things for the user. Because um, a lot of things we want to design but then again, what's the value for the user? So I think that's super key. And that book was really good. It was so simple examples of, it was even going back to Chernobyl, the accident there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, yeah, because it goes back, we talk about user error. And, you know, I mentioned earlier being frustrated. Why do we get frustrated when we start using things or products? Uh, especially we don't read madness anymore, thanks to Apple, which I think is really good. 
because they yeah. have taught people to have high expectations of things, which I think is really good. Um, but yeah, when we talk about users, user frustration and we have bad experiences, it, it's usually a bad design. Uh, it means that they haven't designed a solution for the user to be easy to understand. Um, and that's something I've used for my last 20 years, using that kind of thinking. And that was that book that kind of opened my mind. So, the, yeah, designing everyday uh, objects. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing. Just one final question. Um, what's the, like a specific career advice that you want to give to people in their 20s, working on different products, working within companies, working on basically the next thing? Um, what's something that you want to give forward? Uh, it's going to be a classic one. Uh, focus on the user. Talk to the user. Analyze the user. Whatever you do, make sure the user likes what you're doing or at least you save them time or save them pain. Hmm. And that is key. When you have that, they will be attracted about the product solution you're developing and they will use it. Uh, and can I give a last thing that I sure. <laughs> that is kind of my mantra? I talk about the three wows when designing mm -hmm. products. Um, number one is the wow feeling the user gets when they see your product being an application, the interface, the brand, the logotypes, or a physical product. Uh, and they see that product and understand it. They're not afraid of it. So they get like, hmm, this looks cool. Maybe I should test it out. Because a lot of people today, they're afraid about start using things because they're afraid to break it or etc. So getting people into your product. Number two is when they use the product, the application or physical product. Do they feel they are in control? Are you giving them information enough that they feel, hey, I know what I'm doing. It's the first time I'm using it, but I know what I'm doing. Uh, and kind of give them secureness. It's super important. And then the last wow, number three is when they have used your product and they have a good feeling afterwards. So take Numono, for example, is that you record audio. So the audio you record and you listen to it the first time, you go, wow. Did I record? It sounds awesome. Did I do that? And because my experience is when you kind of <laughs> deliver on those three wows, the user wants to go back and do that again. And that's mm -hmm. the key thing. Why, why develop products that people don't want to go back and use? So that's the key thing. So that's, I think that's a tip to the, the 20s, the youngs, to make sure you deliver on the three wows. Make sure you also see that the user or as the user would think that they come back and use it again and again and again. And that's, um, that is key. Amazing. Thanks for sharing. Thank you, Jonas, for, <laughs> um, for, for 49 minutes. I know we ran a bit over, but uh, much appreciated all your kind of thoughts about what you're building, but also evaluating opportunities, thinking about product, learning about maybe that design wasn't the best thing that you, had, you thought you wanted to do when you were 12, 13 years old. So thanks for, for your time. And it was a pleasure getting to know you and, and, and chatting. Thanks, Max, for having me.